this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Welcome to Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, a Patreon-exclusive podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Mullinex, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch all my favorite animated shows. In this episode, Dipper and Mabel Pines arrive to spend their summer break in a remote town of Gravity Falls. Mabel's suspiciously weird new boyfriend causes the twins to come face-to-face with the town's strange, uncanny secrets. We're talking about Tourist Trap from Gravity Falls this week. How are you doing, Chris? Welcome to Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons! Oh boy, I signed on for this. I'm so excited! I just want all you guys to know, I have not watched any of, so far, of all the cartoons on our list of potential cartoons that Hope wants to do in the future, and there's a lot of them. I haven't watched a single one of them, so I got no idea what's coming, man. No idea. This has been my dream podcast for so freaking long. Ah! I'm relieved to say that I that I enjoyed Gravity Falls, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good start. And how many episodes have you watched so far? Just the first two? Just the first two. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, um, I know you're gonna have to fight yourself. I know, like, there's a there's a no spoiler rule, but I know I might have to like hold you back too, because I know. I'm. I'm oh, very- I know you. I know, I know. I'm not the best at like following no spoilers and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to try very, very hard, but I can only promise about like 95% of that. <laughs> well, I just want to talk about a little bit of the background for this podcast. So Chris is my co-podcaster for J.I.s and Jedi. It is our Star Wars podcast where we cover everything in the Filoni-verse. We've already done all of Clone Wars. We're just about to finish Season 3 of Rebels, and we plan to do Clone Wars Season 7, Resistance, Freemakers Adventures, and Mandalorian. So pretty much everything that's animation or the Filoni-verse. And I kept, like, in this show, referring to all these other shows, because I, I, I love animation, and I, I watch animation more than I watch anything else. And so I'm constantly in J.I.s and Jedi talking about, like, Steven Universe and Gravity Falls and Avatar The Last Airbender. And Chris has not seen any of these shows, and I've been telling him for years, like, man, I really want to do a show where I just make you watch all these shows that I love so much. And here we are. We did it. (laughs) That's the best way to get me to watch anything. Another question I have, maybe I should have asked you this before the show, but we haven't gotten classy yet. Are we being classy on this show, or are... We are going to be classy on this show. Okay. I didn't know if it was going to be kid friendly or not, but it's probably good that we're classy. We're consistently classy from show to show because if we're if 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 we're kid friendly with this show, it might lead them to J guys and Jedi, which not very kid friendly. Well, you know, we got we, Yoda, so and it's when like. When we say classy, it means that this is a not safe for work podcast. So we are adults watching cartoons. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. This cartoon has less classy uh, <laughs> potential than, say, you know, Clone Wars or... Well, I don't know. Yoda's not Yoda's not here, so, you know. But, yeah, okay. I just, just, just want to know if, if, the, if the classiness happens, it's, it's sanctioned. Since this is episode one, and we might have people who have never listened to J-Guys and Jedi before, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris. Well, I am Hope's I... co-podcaster on J-Guys and Jedi and one of the two true freaks of the two true freaks podcast network, which J-Guys and Jedi um, lives on. Jeez, Hope, what is it like four or five years now we've been we, we've been doing J-Guys and Jedi. J-Guys and Jedi. And... Uh, when, when did uh, Force Awakens comes out? Because we started the January of after that movie. So that's what, like five years? Yeah, it's like five years. Yeah, we started that January. If it'd been, yeah, if, yeah, wow. So we've known each other longer. We've known each other a decade. <laughs> yeah, no, we we've known decade. each other probably since just about when when I started podcasting because we met at Dragon Con at a Clone Wars panel of all things. Yep, and Hope was asking good questions, and uh, although Hope did miss the the later panel, which was actually a classy Star Wars panel. So the the classiness of Star Wars has been a consistent 
classiness in Star Wars has been a consistent thing with us in, ho- in podcasting. You know, just sort of how this happens is sort of the way a, a, a several podcasts I've been in has happened is that there's so much media out there that at this point in my life, trying to keep up with everything that's good is almost impossible. So I have to almost have it assigned as a, a podcast um, assignment <laughs> in order to be able to be like, okay, I can set aside the time to watch Steven Universe now or Gravity Falls or, you know, or whatever. But having the choice, having like a list of like 10 cartoons, Steven Universe and Gravity Falls and and this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Which one do I start with? This gives me a structure, you know? <laughs> now now I can watch it and not only watching it, but not just passively watching it. I'm going to I'm going to be processing it. Yeah, so, so, well, I'll talk a lot more about the podcast in a second. Um, I'm Hope Mullinax. Hi. I'm a freelance writer. Um, I used to work in a comic book store, so I have a background in comics. Um, I've worked retail my entire life, and I've always loved animation. I used to work in Hot Topic, and I remember having, like, Gravity Falls debates with my friend Bill, who was my manager, and, like, having, like, My Little Pony debates with customers and stuff. And I got Bill to watch Avatar, The Lost Airbender. So I've always loved animation, and part of the reason why is just... Sometimes when you come home from like an eight hour shift at work and you know, it's Black Friday and stuff, I don't want to sit down and watch some like deeply emotional drama like that's like live action and stuff. Sometimes I just want to come home and watch something that's 22 minutes, that's bright and positive and happy, and I know everything's going to be okay. And, and that's well written stuff. But I started seeing a trend the last few years of that animation is just going worlds beyond what so much adult media is doing. And where this really started coming onto my radar, which was Avatar Last Airbender. I came into Avatar very late. I watched it after the show was ended, was ended, (laughs) had ended. And I was just blown away by it. I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that Avatar Last Airbender is what kicked off this revolution, like this revolution of animation that we're in now. And it's the reason we have stuff like Clone Wars and Gravity Falls and Steven Universe and She-Ra yeah. and all these shows that I love. And, and I think a combination of that and and cable. Cable like, and like streaming I, services. With, with, like I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, you know, and like as a little kid, my first cartoon um, experiences was in the, you know, mid to early 70s. And... There were different kind of car. There were the cartoons made at that time period, which were kind of crappy. But then there were a lot of cartoons from the 40s to the 60s made by like Warner Brothers and other other people that were like higher quality because they were made to be like shown in a movie theater before a movie and like were made to be seen by adults and children. So that, you know, like the Warner Brothers cartoons had a lot more depth to them. But they were nine minutes long and they were just gag things. And then the 80s happened and then that was like cable and still Saturday morning. And cartoons were just advertisements for for kids products. You know, they were super formulaic. They were cranked out. The animation was generic for the vast majority of them. And then in the 90s, there was a nice little like a layer of weirdness to it. You had like. Animaniacs and the Disney Afternoon and stuff like that. And that was sort of like an evolutionary step to what we have today. But now when I go to visit somebody's house and they have kids and watch the kids cartoons, it's amazing how much more time and effort they spend, not only on the making the animation unique, although there is sort of a, a styles that run through today's animation, but they really, write these stories on a whole different level than they've ever had before you know they, they're taking advantage of the medium like it's never been taken advantage of before it, and they're, it, it they're giving very... the kids Sorry. who watch it so much more credit for their intelligence too that's actually something that i always refer to constantly is an interview that alex hirsch did at comic-con and alex hirsch is the creator of gravity falls so i'll be talking about alex hirsch a lot um in this podcast but um, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. He got a fan question from a father 
And he was like, I watched the show with my, my children and I enjoy it just as much as they do. And why, I, I was wondering, like, did you write this specifically for all ages or for children? Like, how did you write this? And he, and Alex Hirsch answered, we first and foremost write this for ourselves as adults because we understand that any storylines that we write for ourselves, children are smart enough to handle these kind of things. Uh, we never wanted to dumb down anything for children. And we wanted to, because children are very smart and they're well-equipped and like they can handle these kind of very mature storylines. And I, that was something I always respected from Alex Hirsch, that he would approach these very mature themes knowing that children can understand these things and they need these kinds of stories. They need to have stories where it's okay to be scared and like when it comes to something like Steven Universe, it's okay to process trauma and PTSD. I mean, they even just do day-to-day interpersonal, you know, not even of the more extreme kind, but just like, you know, minor things of jealousy or, you know, just just things that like family dynamics stuff. They, they do it on an almost like psychiatric level. Like actually they probably do have child psychiatrists involved in stuff like that when i when i watch it i'm i'm like they really you know when they try in the past when they tried to put stuff like that in a cartoon it was so blatant and, it was a psa of like this yes, is like it, sonic says it was go, stuck, Joe. It, it was pounded home in the cartoon and then at the end they would actually sit down and tell you this I remember and, those like Sailor Moon says because like that that's my background like I sure G.I. Joe was famous for do, you know coming yeah. in at the end of it you know go it was, planet <laughs> yeah and 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 basically when you were a kid you knew you were being talked down to you you know we, kids mock that stuff maybe like if you were like five or six years old you just sort of watched it and went like oh it's good to be good but like when you're by the time you're 10 years old you're just like haha here comes the psa at the end and you'd already gotten the message you know and the they they did did not make it subtle whereas now they do it narratively you know they do a show and not tell version of it when you say like dumbing down for kids when we get into the show there's things in this that you could say or it's not really dumbed down because there's kids are treated with agency and intelligence nowadays more in in these cartoons but at the same time they're kids watching it so there is that manic spazzy that can be taken as dumb energy of kids that kids like mm-hmm. just, just stuff that's almost like loud and fast and dialogue that's very um just sort of flippant and and quick and superficial and stuff like that. And that can be taken for dumb, but it's not dumb. It's just the energy of being a kid. You know, you're a spaz. You know, when you're a kid, when you laugh, you fall down on the ground from laughing so hard like Pee Wee Herman. And, you know, that's why you don't see adults doubling up and falling down on the ground after a joke, you know. That's pretty much where this podcast came from. My my kind of growing up background was I I was a kid of the 90s, but I came into a lot of animation through Toonami and Kids WB. So things like early Sailor Moon, I remember when Deke had Sailor Moon and I remember seeing Sailor Moon for the first time and I had to be maybe four or five years old. And I remember trying to explain Sailor Moon to somebody at church and they just had no idea what I was talking about. Well, also also Japan had a leaps and bounds head start on us. Yeah. Taking taking animation and comic books more serious, you know, presenting more it was more stylized than what we're used to, but it was also took you know the writing and the presentation more seriously as an art form and their their audiences as uh being intelligent more so they had like decades and decades in their culture of of having if not because sometimes the animation wasn't exactly higher quality but the the overall presentation was way more you know it was taken more seriously yeah And so those kind of shows that definitely impacted me as I grew up, because then I I got into a lot of clamp stuff in middle school. So I watched like Magical Knights, Ray Earth, and Cardcaptor Sakura is a huge show for me. I like Cardcaptor Sakura, because the other part of me is, hi, I'm a queer woman, what's up? And so like, 
queer content and animation is like my perfect jam and I love it. And so like when I first saw a queer ship in Sailor Moon and Karkata Sakura being Uranus and Neptune and the other one being Toya and Yukito, I was like, there can be gays and animation. And that was a huge part of my development because like I, at the time I didn't realize I was queer. Like I always knew that something was off, but I hadn't come out yet. And I was just like, what, what do you mean there can be gays in animation? Oh, God. <laughs> and it was really impactful for me. So, like, I, I grew up watching a lot of anime, and which is probably what cemented my love of animation as an adult. And here we are. And I will say the one reason I didn't do Avatar first, because I did do this whole spiel about how Ava- Avatar was the renaissance for what we have now, to me at least, was I just think Chris would like Gravity Falls more. I think this would be a nice series for you to get your feet wet because I know you're a weird conspiracy theory guy. I've, I've, I've had this recommended to me by a lot of people and I've had Avatar. I mean, I'm very curious about Avatar because it's obviously... So I, I saw the stupid M. Night Shyamalan movie. I would say it's not a movie to avoid so much. It's not a good movie. But it's it's a sort of like what the hell is going on sort of movie. But I could see the core of what was going on with with that story and how it could be really good. I could I you know without even seeing the story, I could see how it was being bungled with the movie. But I could see it was there, and I've always been really curious about it because that's where Dave Filoni came from. At the mm-hmm. same time that we met at the same panel that we met Hope, we met uh, George Kirstick who's a Clone Wars writer and was also, we got him on the show a couple times, talk about Clone Wars and Tron <laughs> the second time. So I, and he was a writer on Avatar too. So I'm like really curious to see what they, they worked on before. I think this was a good choice too, because if we did Avatar, it has so many connections to J guys and Jedi. This is just something like a nice little bowl of fruit cocktail. You know, it doesn't have, it's, it's its own little, little separate thing so it's kind of it, it, it's new and yeah. it won't lead to, it won't lead to as much like <laughs> clone wars discussions or something i, I yeah. think the only thing i came across in episode two uh there's a clone wars act voice actor <laughs> That's the closest I'll be, yeah yeah far. there's go, we're gonna run into that for sure yeah, there's actually two star wars voice actors um and it's so you know we're gonna be having to mention all kinds of other shows because of these just because of all that crossover of slopping over but i like i could see watching avatar and going like you know the way they're doing this is very much like you know i could see how this got ported over into clone wars or the the story arc in rebels and stuff like this where is this it's this is pretty self-contained and i just thought you would just get such a kick out of grunkle stan our actually our friend of the uh jay guys and jedi um dario he said that you're very grunkle stan and i'm very mabel and i was like yep that's right Or was it Patrick Delmore? One of them was just saying, like, you're the Grunkle Stan of the podcast, and I'm the Mabel of the podcast. And I'm like, yeah, very much. (laughs) Well, you ready to talk some Gravity Falls? Yes. Okay, so first question, first and foremost, just a general thing. What did you think of the first episode? I liked it. Um, I think I played it up being weirder than what you were expecting. I was expecting a little weirder and a little more linear insofar as... I was sort of expecting like the first episode would s- start with them getting off the bus, you know, and being like, well, oh, time to go, you know, it's going to be so hard for me not to say Grunkle Rex, but go, you know, time <laughs> to go see Grunkle Stan. And, you know, and I, I thought it was going to be a, you know, beginning to uh, a linear start to finish. You know, we start out with Grunkle Stan Maybe right out off the bat, they kind of don't like him because they're mad because they w- don't want to be there in the first, you know. But it sort of establishes itself as it's just sort of up and run. It's been up and running, you know. It, it sort of establishes itself as a show that you could just like pop in any show, any episode, and the situation is just always sort of like this ongoing thing of like. I think there's something, it was either in one of the first two episodes, one of the characters mentioned something like, you know, there's always, a, the, the monsters are always real every time, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's established early on that, like, every show they're running into some weird monster or paranormal phenomena or something like that. 
so it's 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 kind of more a little more traditional than I thought. Mm. Well, you ready to talk about it? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Torch Trapped is the first episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on June fifteenth, two thousand twelve. I forgot the show came out in two thousand twelve, and it's that old. Wow. I forgot. Because I came into Gravity Falls uh, probably halfway through season one, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, I thought yeah. this was only a couple years old. I okay. know. It's much older than I thought. So That actually is going to change my whole perspective of it. That actually makes it a little more, um, it makes it a little more cutting edge. Yeah. It was written by Alex Hirsch and directed by John Aoshima. Some extra information for you. The voice of Dipper Pines is voiced by Jason Ritter. Mabel Pines is voiced by Kristen Shaw. Grunkle Stan and Suze Ramirez are voiced by Alex Hirsch. And Wendy Corduroy is voiced by Linda Cardinelli. The town of Gravity Falls was inspired by the real-life summer trip shared by Hirsch and his twin sister, Ariel, while visiting relatives as a kid, particularly the town of Boring, Oregon. Hirsch has commented, As we passed signs for Boring, Oregon, we never actually went there, but I was positively enchanted with the idea that there was a town called Boring. Gravity Falls is par- uh, partially from what I imagined Boring would be like. Maybe it was the opposite of Boring, which would be what Gravity Falls was. In the original script, Mabel refers to the mark left on her cheek by the leaf blower as a hickey. Disney's standards and practices deem the term inappropriate, and in the final episode, she instead calls it smooch marks. This is one of the many times Alex Hirsch challenged Disney's standards and practices over the course of the show. Mabel's grappling hook scene is a nod to Nintendo's Legend of Zelda franchise when Link grabs an item from a treasure chest and raises it above his head. Stan wears a Gilman ma- a Gilman mask to scare Dipper. Gilman is from the 1954 film Creature from the Black Lagoon. And... Since this is the opening episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, here are some fun notes about the theme song. For a brief second, you can spot Bigfoot in one shot. When the title shows up, there's a timestamp with the number 618. 618 is a recurring number in the show, being Alex and Ariel Hirsch's birthdays on June 18th. The photos at the end are antagonists or recurring characters in the show that will later appear. These photos occasionally change over the course of the show. And the additional photos have a jackalope, the Fiji mermaid, and the bat boy. And finally, the whisper at the end, when played backwards, is a clue on how to decode the episode's cryptograms. Yay! (laughs) I'm so used to going into Yoda here. I miss Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) You know who else likes to talk about Gravity Falls? Chris. Hi. Yay! Hi. <laughs> I know, I know. That's the part where we bring in our... This is not Jake as a Jedi, and I think that's what's kind of, like, slightly throwing me off, because I'm just, like, I'm trying to do all my, like, Jake as a Jedi things, and I can't, because it's not... It's a different show. All right, well, let's stop, talk about Taurus Trapped. What was your favorite part of the episode? My favorite thing about this spoiler is it's not a zombie, it's a bunch of gnomes. I love... <laughs> the, I love the gnome dynamics. The, the the dynamics of once the gnomes are revealed and how they sort of act as a unit and then act as like kind of idiots once they're once they're um, separated, it's all done without them explaining how a gnome collective works, and you don't really know, but it's hilarious because it's obviously still like kind of awkward, and they just do it by showing you you know okay and then then they can form a giant and and then once they once you take the lead gnome out the other ones run around because they're completely you know directionless i i I, you're gonna hear me in uh, as far as mentioning other shows obviously i'm going to be mentioning rick and morty because grunkle stan is is the voice of rick they're the same no they're not the same voice actor no they're not they're not no no uh, Alex Hirsch is the voice of Grunkle Stan. He sounds and... exactly like the voice actor of, I mean, like, I was just like, oh, oh, this is like early. No, it's wow. uh, Dan Harmon is the voice yes. of. Is, yes, is... I thought it was Dan. I, I didn't, I didn't know it's Alex Hirsch. Credits. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I was Alex looking Hirsch. out for the secret clues and stuff. I saw all the subliminal stuff that they threw in there because I'm a video editor. 
So I knew I I picked out every I'm like, oh, there's a backwards voice. Oh, there's a frame of a of a, a TV test pattern type of, you know, the the round TV test pattern with stuff on it. I'm and, sorry. I'm sorry. It's uh, Justin Rowland is the voice of uh, Rick and Morty. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Dan Harmon's a writer. Yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, wow, he, he really delivers uh, the, the same that same grackly voice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Well. <laughs> it remi- yeah. remi- well, it reminds me a lot of Rick and Morty. <laughs> well, Al- Alex Hirsch has been uh, has done voice at work on Rick and Morty too, like because he's he's friends with Justin Rowland and and Dan Harmon. So this, I will this say- very much reminds me of a, a, a like a simplified nice nice version of Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty <laughs> is, is mean, but this this definitely like has very similar pacing and kind of ideas of rick and morty in the past they would have had to col- explain that whole no- gnome collective you know to to kids it mm-hmm. would have been this whole complicated process but it's not it's done in two two or three shots everything in this movie is de- or in the show is done into it, it runs at a at a super fast pace what you know i my thing about the gnomes is I this episode's actually very difficult for me because this is actually one of my least favorite episodes of Gravity Falls, and that's not a bad thing. Um, it's just my very first episode, and it goes back to what you were saying like this is a show where you can kind of kind of just get dropped at any point into it. My first episode of Gravity Falls was episode nine, which is the time traveling pig. And so every time I go back to this episode, it's always kind of like a weird thing for me because it's very piloty. And I'm not the biggest fan of pilots in general. For me, like it, it's very difficult to have a good pilot um, because when it comes to pilots, like you have to fit the characters, the story, the theme, the setting, the genre, everything in like 22 minutes or 42 minutes if it's an hour long show. So pilots just in general for me are just kind of like weird and wonky anyway. And whenever I come back and watch this first episode, n- knowing where the show goes, like a lot of like humor, like Mabel's like one-liners and stuff like that become a lot more natural. But when I come back and I watch this episode, it feels like it's like they're trying just a little bit too hard. Like I keep thinking about that, the scene where Label, uh, label uh, Mabel gets the leaf blower stuck to her face and she just starts screaming, get it off, get it off. You don't need those lines. You can just show that she's in tr- like, like, ah, and stuff. So sometimes I feel like when it comes to this episode, they're trying slightly too hard when it, but it's, it's just a pilot thing. That's why I usually try to give shows two to three episodes because pilots are almost always rough. I can only think of like off the top of my head, like a few really good pilots where I was just well, like, yes. This was, this was trying to play it kind of safe, I think with the, with a pilot, but at the same time, like I said, it didn't start in a linear sort of way. They're already established there and living there. And this actually has, for a 22-minute show, has a lot of story in it. You know, it I does. Mean, it does. It has your established characters and the setting part of it. It has a whole subplot of him finding, right? He finds the book in this one, right? Yeah. In the in the in the 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 switch in the tree and then the book in the ground, and they got that subplot going on. And then you've got Mabel's gone boy crazy, and then you've got the the her boyfriend is a zombie discovery <laughs> cross reference with the book plot and then it all turns into the you know the switcheroo where it's actually gnomes all in those 22 minutes so it takes all those different little turns my biggest complaint in these first two episodes is the character of of Mabel and i understand that dipper is at least as we've established in these first in this first episode it's it's from dipper's point of view he's sort of the uh you know the main the the main character or the most reasonable he's a, point of view he's, character he's straight man character yeah he is definitely the straight man he and mabel are twins so they're the same age you know they're they're not battling twins they're obviously siblings that get along although you know they know you know they're they're normal siblings but Mabel is just sort of like isn't presented with as much, and I understand that she's not the main character of it. But she's in just these first couple episodes, she's just sort of presented as 
the semi-obnoxious agent of chaos, you know? She's just sort of in her own Mabel existence. They, they, they show she has a little more awareness of what's going on than they, than they present with her and stuff, but she's just sort of presented as a foil to a dipper. And it, and it, and it just seems to me that if they're like, if, they're, if, if you're going to make the characters twins, you would sort of share that the character stuff with them and there's a little more of it there it's a little it's a handled a little better in the second episode but um I yeah agree I, with I, that. I, but but i also know that we're in the first two episodes of the show and oftentimes yeah. you know halfway through the series once things have you know if they could she could develop into more of a character with with agency in the story of it and now she seems to be just sort of on the sideline while he's getting involved in a mystery she's just sort of there doing her thing and putting a leaf blower on her face for you know she's sort of the 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 laugh you know for, the ga- the gag man of the the two for me like it took me a while to get behind mabel as well i think she was the one character that like i i kind of had a lot of difficulty with in the beginning as well not to like give <laughs> this is the 95 percent, but i'm not going to spoil it for you the, the nice thing about mabel is she she's very much the heart while Dipper is the the mind like Mabel goes often most of the like for the majority of the show like she goes by her instincts and by what her heart tells her while Dipper is very like in his head and I think that's where they balance each other really really nicely Mm because Dipper checks Mabel in like when it comes to that sort of thing but she also reminds Dipper to get out of his head and as the show grows like Mabel grows in her own way but it's it's different from how dipper grows and that's what how i kind of really liked her journey over the course of the series because she doesn't ever really change but she does change in a way to where the world kind of just rolls with it and you start as a viewer just kind of like accepting mabel how she is well but it's but it's done really well because she is such a key player multiple times throughout the show and she you she finds in her own way like why she's important and why that kind of energy is important as well i'm, I'm thinking right off the top of my head like a season two episode which i rewatched a part of that makes me cry every time but i can't talk to you about it right now right uh all i will say is the shooting star moment and people of gravity who's seen gravity falls knows what i'm talking about so also with with a show like that and the fact that they're twins and stuff so, like psychologically psychologically like i remember watching shows as a kid and who i what you know what aspects of things i would identify with i i, I seem to think that like whether they did it on purpose or not they probably did it, it, it's a smart having them as twins and having them be different like that that you're, you're basically they're basically like two two sides of a coin they're 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 two. And, and they're they're mind, two parts of a kid's psyche. And keep when in I because this is also based off Alex Alex Hirsch and his real life twin Ariel being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Being like a kid. like and, like and, this is based off their adventures and growing up together when they right. were kids. So he is very like he has said like he is very much Dipper and his sister was very much Mabel. Right. And but having the two characters there, they're the same age and stuff. It sort of like combines two aspects of different aspects of being a kid and dipper's character is they're very they're both stylized he's more idealized like dipper is like if i was watching gravity falls as like a seven or eight year old kid dipper would be the character that you know i would identify with and think that's what i would be like i would be like i'm gonna solve this mystery but at the same time at eight years old i'm also a little spaz and 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 spazzing out as a kid is one of the greatest things in the world because you just have it's it's burning off that energy you know it's using that energy so she's more like not realistic but you're you're getting just these these sort of two ways in which kids synthesize things happening at the same time so you can you can be like I would be like Dipper and like doing that but at the same point you're probably probably as a seven-year-old kid you're probably more like mabel (laughs) as much as you like to think that you're dipper so it just gives these two energies that are going on with kids you know 
And, and like for me, like when I was 12 years old, I remember being like Mabel, like when I was 12, right. especially like the scene that just felt so very real to me. It was showing all the different ways that she flirts with boys. Like I was kind of that way where because nobody knows how to flirt when you're a tween. So you're just like, yes. Like, what's happening here? Like, are we together? I don't know. And well, I it's... like you and stuff like that. But, like, it's extra. It's kind of weird because now I'm going through that again, being, like, in my 30s. Because, like, when I was when I was 12. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, when Spoiler I was... hope it never goes away. If you're I know. Lucky. I know. But, like, when I was 12, you know, I was like, oh, boys, let me do this. Like, do you like me? Yes, no. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. I rigged it. <laughs> like, that was me when I was 12. But now that I'm, like, 30 and I, like, know I'm queer, I'm just like, oh, my God, how do I flirt and gay? Do you like me? Let me buy you a present with my money. Is, is this how flirting works when you're gay? Well, I don't know. I gotta tell you, when I, when I, when I didn't write it down when I saw it, but I, I was thinking this when I watched that whole sequence. I grew up with a sister who had a bunch of friends. We would all like live at the, the our neighbors had uh, a camp on a lake and like they would bring all the kids out there and we would just hang out there all summer. Well, there would be the, you know, there'd be like six girls out there. And they would start attracting, they were all boy crazy and they'd start like the neighborhood boys, older boys would start coming around. And that little sequence is so, it's funny and it's humorous, but at the same time, it shows like a girl who might be at that age or a little younger than that age. It illustrates that whole feeling of boy crazy and it all, but it also was illustrating that it was, she was just like any, any warm body that walked in. And most of them were kind of like losers <laughs> of some <laughs> sort. And it just illustrated that point that like your judgment is not <laughs> the great is not based on like, you know, as a matter of fact, you, your judgment horrible. was so bad. You d- dated as uh, a bunch of gnomes who were pretending to be as who appeared to be a zombie. I mean, but that's hormones, that you were man. Hoping that, right, right, right. <laughs> but it gives you a preview of it without being preachy. As a matter of fact, it's funny and humorous but it's sort of a heads up to little girls you know little girls might when they get to that point remember gravity falls and be like oh yeah you know we're we're maybe our judgment is it you know not on a direct level and i'm actually but kind of glad you level. brought that up because I, I i keep thinking about the scene where like when norman reveals that he's gnomes like mabel actually lifts them down really easy like you know she's just like i don't think this is gonna work she's very respectful she's like you're really nice she she lifts them down really easily and then they fucking kidnap her and i was just what? like this is all oh, this is such a good message of like oh <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well. Then it turns out that the the, the gnomes. Well, it's really just the one gnome because he's a head. But the head gnome is just a really crappy guy. And I then think you his get, name is Jeff, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So then you get a very. <laughs> then you get a very. You know, you get a nice little preview of what like crappy, a crappy controlling guy. And it's not done in a preachy, even serious manner. It's done in a very humorous manner. And a lot of like the breakup stuff. That, I think, plays better to the parents watching it because, you know, that's more like stuff of like, you know, when you're in your 20s and stuff and you're coming out of a relationship or letting someone down from like a uh, after a couple dates or something like that. But it's it's fun. But kids also know about that stuff because they see it on TV and dramas and stuff. So they know that people have that stuff so they can get sort of that humor, too. But. They just slip that stuff into the cartoons these days so naturally and cleanly. It, and, it, and it's funny. A lot of people complain about social messaging these days. And I think basically a lot of times the reason people complain about the social me- social messaging is sometimes it's we've gotten so used to it being done so deftly and integrated into the story to where it's, you know, not pounding you over the head that when it does that calls attention to it mm-hmm. so it's like the people who are griping about it are really griping about like poor writing <laughs> and, and honestly some of the people griping about it 
they're the gnomes. Right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. They're the gnomes. Struck do- that's the struck dog theory. Yeah. Somebody I also want to talk about is Grunkle Stan. Stan is actually probably my favorite character of the series. I love Stan. I love his story. I, I love I love Grunkle Stan and how he is just the whole like. There's no weird things in this town and blah blah blah. He's such a different adult character. Like he's almost like that kind of like that bad news bears kind of character, but like for like a Disney version of it. Well, and... he he looks a lot like he, he, there's a little bit of Walter Matthau in the bad. I mean, that's how he has a little bit of Walter Matthau to his face, and he's in underwear. Like Matthau so embodied that archetype of grumpy old, you know. From being in the original um, Odd Couple, The Bad News Bears. And I mean, basically, Homer Simpson, when they first started doing Simpsons on the Tracy Ullman show, was voiced as being Walter Matthau. I I look at Grunkle Stan as uh, also being inspired by George Licker from the Ren and Stimpy cartoons, who was sort of an exaggerated man from the 50s type of you know man's man from the 50s not afraid to walk around in his underwear with stubble and and not concerned with the wimpy things of everyday people and you know sort of living outside of his time sort of thing but on the other side of it he's obviously a weirdo because he runs his weirdo stand i and i like that he runs it like knowing it's all fake <laughs> yeah like, no he's a he's it, a, he's a, a huckster trap. Yeah, yeah, he's a con man. Like that, and the that tourists are all portrayed as being like the most mouth-breathing morons you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we also have Wendy and Seuss. Wendy is the teenager that works in the store, and, of Su- and Seuss is the handyman. Wendy, you haven't seen a lot of, knowing that you've seen the first two episodes, so there's not really much to she's say barely about her. Ca- I just know she's a character because you saw her yeah. briefly, and you see her in the credits. Yeah, and when Wendy is a character that doesn't, you know, really comes into play as the show goes on. So, so like, there's really not much to say, but I do love Wendy. But I, I do like Seuss, and you've had two episodes of Seuss now. But in this episode, like, what, what are your thoughts on Seuss? He's kind of a, like, I don't want to say a stereotype. Not a stereotype, but he's sort of a, like, his kind of character is sort of a, a new, like, stereotype it's not a bad thing to call it a stereotype, but it's like this type that shows up in cartoons, I which will is let a you character. Know, I forgot to note this. He's based off of Alex's Hirsch, uh, Alex Hirsch's college roommate. Mm-hmm. To so give you a little guess... bit of background. Yeah, who was probably smoked pot. <laughs> <laughs> There's an element of pot smoke into Seuss, but they don't, they don't throw that in. In the past, a character of Seuss would would be legitimately dumb. He would be he would be the big fat guy is always kind of dumb, but like strong. So he would come in handy in a car. You know, he would lift up a car or something if he had to and would just sort of be like and like maybe through just doing something dumb would save the day. But hey, Seuss, Seuss is presented as possibly being it's very much like sort of like bubbles from the trailer park boys or something. It's, it's a very new thing where you have a character who looks big and dumb, but is actually kind of like, they're like the big dumb Zen character. It, I, w- it, I would call the archi- archetype stereotype for it in it, where they have a dumb, uh, kind of dumb, drawly, lazy sort of voice, but they really are kind of more on top of things than anybody else. And they're just sort of there and they're like, un- they have an underlying sense of competence and emotional intelligence, emotional stability, and reasonable reasonableness. They're they're going with the flow of everything, and they're they just sort of roll with it and are and are useful, and will will just sort of wait to pop in and help. I, I'm glad you said Zen. Just so you know, listeners, we're re- re- we're recording for both episode one and episode two today. Um, so I have a lot more notes about Seuss in episode two. Yes, but... I know, and I, and and a lot of what I'm saying is colored by episode two. But to, to me, to not go into it too much, to save it for the next episode, um, Seuss is very much the heart of the series. He's the heart of the group, and I'm glad you said Zen because, like, he's such. He just gets right to the point of just like, oh, I guess you two are the like monster. 
boom, that just came to me. <laughs> and I was just like, yes. Like, he not afraid to state the obvious, but he's also the heart of the series. And I, I can't wait for you to see kind of, like, how that goes. Well, he reminds me of this character, and, and I cannot for the life of me. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's just one word. It was an 80s coming-of-age, a more adult than young adult coming-of-age movie. And it was about a bunch of college buddies who, when they were all, you know, friends in college, best friends in college. I know it's not it, but that was the first no, thing that came not, to it, my head. No, it's not it. They, they, they buried a bottle of Dom Perignon out in the desert on this, like, hard-to-reach place. And they had a vow. I can't remember if it was if one of them got married or if one of them died. <laughs> but in the case of something happening, they would all had to go get back together and go dig up the bottle of Dom Perignon and drink it. So it's this whole road movie of them. Uh, uh, oh, I know what it is. It's somebody getting married and they set it up like they buried Dom in the bez- desert. Now we have to go back and, you know, and all together. And you think Dom is like their friend that they buried in the desert or something. But it turns out to be a bottle of champagne. But there's a character in that. Who's their friend? Who's a big, big fat guy with a sort of neck beard, and he literally like they pick him up and he just sleeps in the back of the car for most of the movie, and whenever he does anything, he just sort of wanders. He ne- he never really talks, or he'll just be sort of like, yeah, okay, man, but he just sort of is the guy who comes out and Zen like fixes everything. Every you know, when their car breaks down in the desert, he's the guy who just walks out of the car, ties a rope to the front of it, and then hooks it onto a train, and then they drag it, you know. And I don't know if they show him as such, but they sort of portray him as your fat stoner roommate, you know, who's in his T-shirt and he's got the big the, the big old shorts, jorts on and stuff and the, the sandals on and and the furry hair. That's what I he's sort of that kind of character. They're yeah. always they always end up being the best characters. They always end up being the characters that like by the end of the series that are just like the most beloved because they remind you of the there are people in your life that are like that you know that are just like they're not the most vivacious person you know but they're just like a good solid good vibe person yeah and like he's, like he's me, that he's a, a centering energy yeah like this is very much the rock like whenever anything happens i i will go ahead and let you know like seuss is the rock of the situation and he kind of grounds everybody all out um, because Jinkov stands a con man and then Dipper is in his head and, and Mabel is this chaotic energy. So I always like Stu's because he really is the rock that just kind of holds everything down for everybody else. And yeah. The last thing I, I want to talk about, and this kind of gets into part two. So I should have said this from the opening, but it's episode one and we're still figuring this out. Um, part one is where we talk about the themes and characters and stories of the episode. Part two, because Chris is watching this for the first time, he's going to have his speculation and theory corner. And the part three, we'll be talking about the ciphers of the episode. Um, and this kind of leads into part two, which is a big theme of this show in general is trust. Because Dipper gets the journal and it says trust no one. And Mabel's like, well, you can trust me, can't you? And them learning how to, tr- like, really trusting each other through this gnome situation. But then we get the reveal at the very end of the episode that Stan has a secret room behind his vending machine. So there, there's two things I wanted to talk to you about trust when it comes to this. For one, I want to hear your theories and speculations about what's going on with that vending machine. And the other thing is, is that Dipper finds the journal in the in the woods and he reads, unfortunately my suspicions have been confirmed. I'm being watched. I must hide this journal before he finds it. And so for your theories and speculations, what are your guesses of who he is? Well, my two obvious things were either either Stan wrote the book and Stan is like slowly going to be letting letting his grandkid like he's a he's a goofy old man it's and it's hard for a goofy old man to get two kids into hanging out with him but he might be able to make their lives exciting by introducing them into the weirdness of you know by just sort of letting them find like laying breadcrumbs for them basically or or if we're going to take a dark turn or or a darkish turn which i don't think this show is going to take that he finds it could be Stan too. I think they sort of set it up to be there's like 
that book is is probably since Stan is sort of the only other character in play of mysterious things going on. I th- I think that was setting it up to basically like one of my predictions is trust issues with Grunkle Stan because we're not going to know if he's like and you don't know if the person behind the book is a good person either so you, you it's just i think it's there to to make it because there's really no other people for you to speculate on besides stan so that's all you sort of have to work with on it at first you know um i will say listeners, it could be the beavers that wrote the book <laughs> i will say listeners um i will not be correcting or talking or like or right. doing anything for Chris during this section because he is watching it for the first time. Well, we're just noting it to see if I'm right or wrong later um, in the future. <laughs> but I will, but I will play devil's advocate um, a little bit. So you, so as what I'm hearing is, you think that Stan wrote the journal. That's your theory, right? Uh, no, I think they're. I, I think they're trying to 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 make me think either Stan wrote the journal or is the person after the person who wrote the journal. But I don't think stan wrote the journal i think it, well it, it could be 50 50 <laughs> you know it's 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 the mixture between i know what kind of show it is so anything is you know that it's gonna throw throw you stuff that's gonna try to throw you off but at the same time you can only work with what you got in that first episode so definitely the book is throwing I don't want to say throwing shade at Uncle Stan, but it's it's implicating him. You know, mm-hmm. it's saying, you know, Uncle Stan, if he didn't write this book or isn't behind it, knows what's going on with it. He knew the guy or it was his it was his long lost brother who used to run the place with him and then disappeared in, in the woods one day or something like that. You know, uh, we're obviously going to get some backstory on Uncle Stan the second he goes into the especially since they leave it for the last scene that he's got a secret thing. But I mean, he lives in a lodge and he's got a Mason's hat on. Those are the people that like, if you're throwing that symbolism around, those are the people who should have a secret, secret doorway behind their vending machine. So what do you think is going on behind the vending machine? Like what's your wildest guesses? Oh, he could belong to some sort of, you know, group of, you know, we could have some sort of, village group of people who try to keep the time portal contained in <laughs> in their town or something you know that have done it over generations or that this lodge is built on an old indian burial ground or something like that yeah i am i i imagine he probably more or less just has a whole what whatever you know he probably has mementos of all those everything that lives out in the woods or that he's run into and stuff like that I, w- I would guess would be down there all right well interesting interesting theories you're coming up with mm. just uh, on a on a superficial level i think we'll see the grappling hook again we'll see some sort of dimensional rift in in the town or some sort of you know point of energy or travel between dimensions and i think we're gonna have a twin peaks reference and i'm looking for either a backwards talking dwarf or a log lady type thing or some lady with a log i am thinking of like an there's gonna have to be some sort of like really nice obvious twin peaks reference in here i I will go ahead and tell you that now um because i was doing some research for some future episodes um there is a very clear twin peaks reference in episode i think it's episode four so, oh, excellent. So it's coming right up. Excellent. Yeah, I, I will go ahead and tell you now. There, there's actually a lot of references to other stuff um, in this series. There is a lot of like Twilight Zone up, uh, references, and there's references to other shows. There's one episode um, in season one where it's a take, it's a rift on video games, and that episode is just a slew of references to video games. Well, yeah, the age of the people doing it, it should be, yeah, yeah that should so, be totally their stomping grounds. I mean, and like we saw in episode two, like when we get there, like Mabel had that kind of um, like dream sequence where you have like the two boys in a car and they're very eighties boys. Um, so like this show has a slew of references so i will go ahead and tell you like you are correct there there will be a ton of references to everything else under the sun i'm so excited Uh, (laughs) anyway all right so part three 
Um, this is what I'm calling the cipher corner. And I will also be talking about connections that are made to previous episodes. Well, of course, this is episode one, so there's no previous episodes to connect this to. But an example of this for, for a future reference so you know what's going to be going on here. Um, when we get to an episode like The Time Traveling Pig, when we get to that episode, there's a lot of like stuff from previous episodes, and even in this episode, that comes back in Time Traveling Pig. Or like when we get to episode four, when we get the when the, when we get a new character named Gideon. Of course, like we've already seen gl- glimpses of Gideon in like episode two. Um, so that's that's what we're going to be doing here, because um, I don't want to like spoil these things for Chris and like saying like, oh hey, this thing shows up here in episode one, because I just want Chris to experience these things in the future. In this section, I will be making these connections back to this. But we did have a couple ciphers in this episode, because there are ciphers in every episode. And I should say cryptograms are cryptograms. And the crypt- at the end of all the credit sequences, of course, they have a cryptogram at the end. And the cryptogram for this episode was, Welcome to Gravity Falls, when it's decoded. But there's another one. At the end of the theme song, after they show the title you have a, the briefest glimpse of like a flashing image and in that flashing image there is a cryptogram and when that is decoded it says stan is not what he sees and that is in every main theme song and so it's something just to always keep in mind of the series that stan is not what he seems yeah <laughs> so did you have any other thoughts about Taurus trap no, not really. The, the the cryptogram cipher stuff is the least interesting to me because I just never, like, word puzzles like that never interest me. And I'm sort of glad that it's been since 2012 that, like, instead of having to go through the process, which I don't find fun of deciphering cryptograms, I can just go to the inter- internet and figure it out if I have to. <laughs> Please avoid that because you're going to get spoiled so easily. Right, I'm not going to, but I mean, that's that's the thing is, I, I'm not the kind of person who's going to freeze frame it so I can figure out the, the, the cryptograms. I, I like Because I also figure that they're not going to be necessary for watching the show. They're sort of a fun thing. For people but they're not a fun thing for me i i like picking out things hidden in the story and the plot and stuff like that but like the overt messagey stuff is not yeah anyway but yeah in general i like the i like the show yay well if that's all you have uh what are your final thoughts of the episode i liked it a lot it was uh not as densely conspiratorial as I thought it was, but it's it's densely plotted. They're, they're fun shows. Mabel is a little bit annoying at first, but she, I'm sure she'll grow on me. And I'm also like not an eight year old kid, so like just that 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 energy is not always this, <laughs> the same for me. Yeah, I I enjoy it. I'm 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 looking forward to seeing if it obviously as it goes on. We'll have more of an ongoing plot. At, at, at the point of watching these first two episodes, it seems like it's go- it, it could be like a completely episodic series, but I have a feeling it's not going to end up being like that. I'm going to go ahead and tell you no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I figured. Like, it, the, the beginning of the series is very Monster of the Week, but every Monster of the Week, like, they introduce, like, a little bit more. A little bit more stuff going on, yeah. Yeah, okay. and and as, that that's why I wanted to have a section where I talk about connections to previous episodes. Once you start seeing... Once we start so, going on, yeah. Yeah, like, you could go then go back and you watch it and you're just like, oh, oh. <laughs> Like there is, there is definitely a hidden character that I was I was waiting to see if you noticed him or not in this. So, <laughs> as for me, um, it's a pretty good pilot. But like I said, like pilots just in general are not my favorite things. Off the top of my head, I can only think of like three really good pilots that I love, and that's Mandalorian, Timeless, and Once Upon a Time, which are three very solid pilots to me. And it's very difficult to have a very solid pilot. Um, it's a really great introduction to the characters. It's funny and it's charming. I love the sibling dynamic of D- Dipper and Mabel because I have three sisters and a brother and I know siblings and it's so real. I love, and, and I will say that Alex Hirsch made a point that 
of saying that Dipper and Mabel will fight, but they will never hate each other, which I think is very important because usually you can get very tropey when it's like, oh, the siblings hate each other now. Yeah. So, but I so I like that they have the freedom that they can disagree and fight, but they will never they will never hate each other, and I like that. And it sets up the mysteries and the themes of the season, and it's a really fun show, and I'm so excited we're doing this! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right, well. That's it for episode one. Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at Two True Freaks, and Two True Freaks are at twotruefreaks.com. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can see all the wondrous podcasts, including Jay Guys and Jedi, which Hope and I do there. You can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. This is obviously a Geeky Girl Experience exclusive Patreon podcast. So you can read my reviews and I write think pieces and stories on geekygirlexperience.com. You can find me on Twitter at Hope Molinex. I run our J Guys and Jedi Twitter. So you can find me also at J Guys and Jedi if you want to hear our Star Wars stuff. And I also write fan fiction on Archive of Our Own under the name Chaos Lydia. And it's mostly Star Wars fan fiction. So, all right. Next week, we are going monster hunting. I guess I shouldn't say next week because this is a, bi- a bi-weekly podcast. So in two weeks, we are next going... Next time. Next <laughs> time. I, I'm so used to J-Guys and Jedi being weekly. <laughs> so next time, we're going to go monster hunting in the Legend of the Gobblewonker. See you then. Hey, guys. Did you know that you were actually two months behind on Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, my patrons over on Patreon have access to more episodes of this show as well as behind-the-scenes content. Patreon is a great way for you to support this podcast and my website, Geeky Girl Experience, with multiple tiers of content that you can choose from. If you become a patron, you'll get your name shouted out in the episodes, as well as my never-ending gratitude. You can sign up today at www.patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time, and I love you guys. Bye.